for where you were when you heard the news. Some of you will remember of Pearl Harbor. Anybody in here remember where you heard? Yeah, a few. How many of you remember where you were when you heard the news that President John F. Kennedy had been shot? A lot, a lot more hands. The first major national catastrophe that I distinctly remember where I was, and many of you will join me, was in 1986, the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. Anybody remember? I was in the third grade. I remember watching it on TV, watching it as it happened. Some of you say third grade. Wow. And how many of you remember where you were the morning of September 11, 2001, either hearing about and or then watching those events unfold? Yeah. Some of you are too young to remember some of that. <clears throat> I remember I was in room 330 on the third floor of Pleasure Ridge Park High School in Louisville, and I was a teacher. I was a history teacher, teaching sophomores. I got a phone call from a good friend of mine. He said, are you watching this? And I said, watching what? He said, turn on your TV. And from that moment until the end of that school day and the remainder of that week, that's all we did, was watch. <clears throat> and I remember thinking how those students, and as I look back on it, remembering even more and thinking how vivid a, a history lesson they received that particular day. And how we all received one. There's a lot that's changed since then, hadn't there? been a lot that's changed. <clears throat> some for the good, some not. But maybe you remember exactly where you were and what you were feeling when you saw that. You didn't have to be from New York. You didn't have to be connected to anyone in particular who, who was there or even know anybody associated with those events <clears throat> to be deeply and profoundly affected by what happened. And our world has certainly changed as a result. I wonder how you responded to that. Certainly we know how our nation responded. Many felt unsafe. Many people felt that things were out of control. They felt powerless. What a helpless feeling it was to watch particularly that second plane fly into the second building live on television. As many of you were able to watch that. Many people felt fearful and angry, hopeless, full of despair, maybe even confused. Why is this happening Uncertain about what tomorrow would bring. Some were searching for an anchor, needing reassurance. And so for a time, our nation went to church. For about three weeks, our nation went to church. Searching for those answers. Looking for symbols, looking for places that were associated with some kind of peace and comfort. Our nation also became ex extremely patriotic during that time. Maybe you remember that. Our nation sang songs together, waved flags, stood together in as much unity as we could muster. We all had some sort of response. But I got to thinking this week, and I'd like for you to imagine with me, what would you have been feeling if you could imagine yourself on one of those planes? We all think of how it's affected us, but imagine if you were on one of those planes. Imagine if you were in one of those buildings and you hear the screams and the threats of those hijackers on the plane and you realize what's going on. And it hits you all of a sudden with an extreme amount of gravity that not only is this not a drill, but this is the end. It's it. 
And, and you, you come to grips with that. Imagine yourself in one of those buildings looking out of your office and seeing that plane come toward you directly at your floor. Or feeling the impact and you're above it. And it sinks in that you're not getting out alive. How would you respond then? What would have been something that brought you some hope some peace in those few moments that you had remaining. What would have been the only reason for anyone on those planes or in those buildings to have any semblance of hope whatsoever? We're all going to face something like that at some point. All of us. Maybe not in a tragedy or a terrorist attack, but all of us will come at some point face to face with those kinds of of issues, those kinds of events in our lives. Some will stare down death in the next year. And you will feel much like a person on one of those planes, knowing you have a limited amount of time left. Some will face some serious tragedy, some difficult times, some emotional turmoil, and you will feel as if it's the darkest time you've ever known. We all face dark times, there's no question. Every one of us, and I've said it before, if we were to give each, each person in here an opportunity this morning and simply pass the microphone around and have you stand up and share your dark times with our church, we would be here through lunch and supper and most of the next week as we all pour out our hearts on the dark times that we face. But what brings hope in those moments? Since then, 9-11 of 2001, we have faced in our nation many other dark times. You think about national catastrophes like Hurricane Katrina, the tragedies that unfolded there. You think about those who have been forced to financial ruin by our economic times. Events like those can and do have a profound effect on each of us. For some, it makes you paranoid. It makes you wondering sort of wonder what's around the corner, what, what's going to happen next. For others, it can create a sense of distrust of everyone. You don't trust anybody anymore because of the things that have happened. For others, you just live in constant fear. Others have entered into long-term depression because of the events that life has thrown. Others have become paralyzed in their emotions, their thoughts, their actions. They, they simply struggle to get out of bed every morning and put one foot down in front of the other. For others, they live in a state of total confusion most of the time. Others, through the events of 9-11 and other personal issues that have come since then, have decided to take matters into their own hands. They'll do something about it. And some in our country have remained that way the entire ten years since 9-11. Paranoid, fearful, scared, paralyzed. You may not be that way because of 9-11, but maybe for some other reason some other issue that you've faced. And I guess my question is, as a result of all that, is do we have to remain fearful after those dark times? Is, are we doomed to depression and to hopelessness as a result of those things? What message is it that we need to hear as a nation and as individuals when we face dark times, when we face tragedies? And I'm thankful and I praise God that He has not left us in the dark without a message in dark times. 
And he's given us a message of hope over and over and over in the Scripture for people like you and me and like those in our country who experience dark times. One of those particular messages is found in Psalm chapter 93. I want you to turn with me if you have a Bible this morning. Psalm chapter 93 is our word of hope this morning. As we look back to dark times, as we experience them even now, and as we know without a doubt that we will continue to experience them as long as we live on this earth. As you're turning there, let me give you just a little background information about this psalm that I think will help you kind of understand where the author was coming from and how it can apply in a very powerful way to our lives. This psalm is part of about four or five others that are loosely grouped together known as enthronement or kingship psalms. They talk about God as king, God as the ruler. The Lord reigns, many of them will say, and they'll describe God as king. Now we're not really sure when this particular psalm was written or exactly why it was written to whom it was written. But it appears as if the author, as you'll see, had spent some time contemplating, reflecting on, thinking about the dark times that either he or the nation or maybe those around him had faced, and as a result, he writes this in response. Maybe you've written something in response to a difficult time. This is his response to that. And so because of that, because it's written in response to those dark times, it really does have universal reach. It applies not only to those who read it first, but to us also today. Now what's even more interesting is, is where this particular psalm is located in the book of Psalms. This little portion of the book of Psalms uh, was compiled at a time and put together for a specific purpose, and that was to speak to a nation who had lost its hope. Israel was living in exile at this point. There was no ruler from David's throne, uh, David's line rather, his family line, on the throne of Israel a promise that God had made them, that that would remain so. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Their homeland was gone. They're kicked out. The temple is, is, is absolutely destroyed as well. And it's into this situation that this psalm is compiled together with others and presented to the nation as a reminder of some truth that they desperately need to hear, that the Lord is still in control, that He is still on His throne. That there is hope even in the darkest of times. Even when life is in ruins and all you see around you is the debris of the junk that's fallen down around you. This psalm speaks just to that. So the compiler of this psalm puts it together in such a way that he shifts the focus from what they're experiencing to what they need to remember. He shifts their focus away from the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile of the nation, to the truth that God is still in control. He shifts them from thinking about this earthly monarchy that they treasured and loved so much, this line of David that was going to be on the throne, and he reminds them of the eternal monarchy of God, which was far and away more important. So this for them was a much needed perspective. Let's look at it together. Let me read it. Psalm chapter 93. Now, keeping all of that in mind, look at the opening words that he says. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves greater than the roar of many waters. 
the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness is the beauty of your house for all the days to come. What are you facing this morning? You dealing with your own enemy attack? Feeling hopeless, afraid, confused, angry, alone? Searching for some kind of anchor to hold on to in the midst of your difficult time, needing reassurance? Are you sort of reeling, kind of tottering? Are you feeling like you're about to collapse and to fall? We cannot deny that dark times come. But here in this particular psalm, we find in the Scripture what brings hope in the darkest of times. And hope exists in those dark times because, the psalmist says it in the first line, the Lord reigns. I think we could read that over and over and over and over again until it sinks into our thick skulls and our thick hearts. And we walk out of here with a different perspective And maybe for some this week, that's just what you need to do. Those first three words. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. This was not a new declaration for the nation of Israel. This was a reminder. This was not something that the psalmist is bringing about. He's just telling you how it is. Here it is, he says, the truth. Here's what it is. The Lord reigns. It appeared for them that all hope was lost. They lost their land, they lost their their kingdom, they lost their city, they lost their temple. And yet, the psalmist says, the Lord reigns. He always has, He is now, and He always will. It is the Lord who reigns, he says, not us. (laughs) Not even the current world leaders. Not even the situations we face that seem to be so dominant. Not anything we can see, anyone we can see, but the Lord Himself, He alone, is in charge. The problem is, in dark times, this may be a truth that sort of gets weakened in our minds. You've been there? You forget about this. You get lulled to sleep. And you begin to believe that, well, maybe maybe God's not really in charge. But we constantly need to be reminded of this. If you have some way and you don't feel it's blasphemous to write something down in your Bible, I would encourage you, make a note somehow, somewhere in your Bible or somewhere else, in dark times, go to Psalm 93 and read the first three words. The Lord reigns. Even though it may appear that He is not in control, even though it may appear that He does not reign, it is only an appearance. The truth remains and so does the reign of God. If God were not in the picture, obviously we would have a very hopeless situation indeed. Without Him, we have no answers at all. Without Him, all we have is darkness and destruction. But because He reigns, we have hope. We have some answers, some idea of what's going on. We have light in the darkness. The Lord Reigns. I love how the psalmist starts with that. He doesn't start with, hey, I know you're having a rough time. I know things haven't gone as well as you'd like them to go. Well, I tell you, that's hard, isn't it? Listen, when we get time, you, you give me a call, you shoot me an email or a text, and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. He doesn't start with any of that stuff. What does he start with? A declaration of truth that trumps it all. <laughs> the Lord reigns. Then he goes on. 
And he describes the Lord as king, how he reigns, what he reigns over. In the second part of verse 1, he says the Lord reigns in power. This is great. He says, He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. Now, although God doesn't really have clothes, He's presented here just like a king would be, in all of His glory and all of His splendor. He says He's robed in majesty, enveloped in strength. He's, he is robed. That means he, He's constantly got it on. That's what He's wearing all the time. Majesty. He's lifted up. He's exalted. No one higher than Him. He's enveloped in strength. That's a military term. Some of your versions, if you're reading from a different version than what's on the screen, it may say girded with strength. That sort of is reminiscent of the, the passage that Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, gird yourself with a belt of truth. Tie it around you. It's a military term. That means that God has on His armor and He's always ready for battle on behalf of His people. He's always ready to come to our rescue. That means He can never be defeated. He's never truly threatened nor are the people who call Him their King. The details here about what He's wearing, His robes, point to the fact that the Lord has authority. He has magnificence. He has strength. He has power. And these are the Lord's clothing. And He never changes His clothes. Now that's a scary thought for some of us. Never changing your clothes. I remember a time when I was a teenager. I was probably 17 or 18. And I was a counselor at my home church's camp for children. We called it kiddo camp. And, and I was in charge of about seven or eight third grade boys. So it's me against them all week long. We get there on Monday, we leave on Friday. And third grade boys were the greatest. I always asked for the, for the third grade boys. They were naive. You could get them to do whatever you wanted them to do. You know, they, they were, the camp was for third through sixth graders. So they're the youngest. They'd never been there before. And with third grade boys, all you do is just tell them to race everywhere they go so they sleep well at night. You know, that's what they do, you know. And so you just keep them going. They just run everywhere and then they're out, you know. Whereas the older boys, they know to pace themselves a little bit so they can stay up all night. But anyway, I remember one young man whose name was Chris. And Chris literally wore the same outfit all week long. All week. This was a camp outdoors in August. And we went hiking. And we went to eat. And we even went down a mudslide. And he wore the same thing. We went swimming. Same thing. They just hosed him off after the mudslide. It was great. And the other counselors were looking at me like, had he had, you know, it's Wednesday. Has he not had on the same thing? Yeah, he's, you know, whatever. By Friday, he's still wearing the same thing. Black shirt, black shorts. I'll never forget it. It was the same thing all week long. His mother, I'm sure, was extremely shocked to find when she opens his suitcase that nothing has moved. It's all exactly the way she packed it. You know, it's kind of cute, kind of funny for somebody like that never to change their clothes. It's sort of a fun story to tell, but I tell you what you think about the fact that the Lord never changes His clothes, it's not cute. It's not funny. It's powerful. It's hopeful. Because He is constantly clothed and robed in majesty and strength. And He never changes His clothes. He will never take those things off. For those who know the Lord through His Son Jesus Christ, that's what we receive from Him. The covering of His majesty and His strength. And He never changes His clothes. He reigns in power. Not only that, the psalmist says, He reigns over creation. 
The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. It's stable. It's set up the way God wants it. It's firm. It's not going anywhere. It cannot be shaken. It will not totter. It will not slip. It will not waver or stagger or flinch or stumble. He's in control. There's nothing that escapes Him. There's no one who is not accountable to Him. No matter what happens... Creation cannot be taken from God's control, nor can it be destroyed by anyone but Him. He alone will guide it to its end whenever He sees fit. And so even in our darkest times, the world is not out of His control, not out of His concern. Even when tragedies like 9-11 occur, God still rules and He still reigns in creation. Even when evil forces seem to gain some measure of control, The world itself, creation, is not shaken. It doesn't slip. It doesn't flinch. Because it's firmly established by the Lord. We get reminders of this from time to time. I was driving in from Louisville yesterday after visiting my parents with my children. And off to the left, we were driving south on 641, and off to the left there we look out and we see this giant wall of rain somewhere in Marshall County felt sorry for those people at that particular time. I'm sure they needed the rain, but they got it all at once, you know. And so this giant wall of rain coming down. Amazing sight to look over a few miles, and that's what we see. But as I kept looking, just beyond the wall of rain was a rainbow. Because behind us was the sun. And I told the kids, I said, look at that, isn't that crazy? But it hit me. We get reminders of things all the time that creation is still under God's control. That even when the wall of rain is relentless, there's the rainbow there on the other side. As silly as that may sound, what an incredible reminder that God still reigns over creation. The world, though it may seem to be in total chaos, is under God's control. Though things may seem to happen randomly or by chance, God is in control. He reigns over creation. The psalmist goes on to say that He reigns over eternity. Verse 2, Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. Even before the chaos and creation even began, the throne of God was established. Eternity, that hidden time that we know nothing about. (laughs) Not like God knows it. In the space before there was space and time, God was there. He was in control. He was on His throne. So in the midst of troubling times, the psalmist doesn't look at his temporal and earthly situation. He looks to the eternal Creator God rather than looking to anyone or anything on earth for hope. He looks beyond earth. Because God has been in control from eternity past, the great news is as the psalmist looks back and reminds us, is that we can live our lives with hope and with confidence moving forward because not only has He been in control from eternity past, He's in control now. And He will forever be in control and on His throne. I think that's a key in dark times because isn't it easy to focus on what's right in front of us? It seems as if our dark times on earth will last forever, don't they? It seems as if that's all we can think of, the here and now. But the psalmist points us to a perspective beyond our time, beyond our situation. I'm thankful that he does. 
Because God reigns for all eternity, nothing that happens in time as we know it changes Him or changes His place on His throne. His throne stands and is established despite the turbulence that we experience in our world today. He reigns over eternity. He also reigns over chaos. I love how the psalmist just continues to unfold it. Here's who God is. Here's what His reign is about. Verse 3, The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. (laughs) The repetition there is pretty powerful. If you read it quickly... It almost seems as if that's the way life's problems are. They just keep coming, one after another. The floods have lifted up, the floods have lifted up, the floods lift up. It's poetry. There's a point to the repetition. The floods, the rivers, those flowing currents that are so strong. Literally, the psalmist is saying, no matter what happens, those floodwaters cannot defeat God. He is more powerful than them. And also, He's more powerful than anything they symbolize. Some folks have interpreted this to mean that that these floodwaters symbolize the false gods that battled for supremacy in the universe. The psalmist says, those false gods, those gods of the pagans, do not ever threaten the Lord. He's still in control. Some believe that these floods are a symbol of the nations that threatened the existence of Israel and how God had conquered all of them. Others see the floods as representative of, of the chaotic forces that are at work in the world. Illness, difficulty, tragedy, fear, hatred, temptations, confusion, wicked people. Whatever they symbolize, certainly they cover our experience. They've lifted up their voice, it says. They've raised their sound. They're making lots of noise. It's almost like the thunder. They rattle you. What they report to you is not good. They're making their case to be heard. Those waves that come into your life, they lie to us. They try to convince us that God's promises are not true, that He is not who He said He is. They try to grab the microphone and shout and get our attention. Prove to us that we should live in fear of them, trying to destroy us, to steal our joy and our hope. That's how it feels, isn't it? When the tide in our lives gets particularly high, it feels as if that's all we can see, all we can hear, and it shouts all the more at us as it keeps pounding our shoreline over and over and over again. The floods lift up their pounding waves, their crushing waves. We've seen that recently in our country, the power of floodwaters. If you've watched the news recently, it's... It's been prevalent in the Northeast in particular. Seemingly coming over and over again, being relentless. It says, though, greater than the roar of many waters, the mighty breakers of the sea. talks about the fact that these things are large and they're great. Let me tell you. I I wish, I really do, I wish I could with good faith and good conscience stand up here and tell you that what you're facing is really not a big deal. That you just need to get a different perspective. You just need a little pat on the back, a little... Little encouragement, little shout of God on Sunday morning, and everything's just going to be fine. <clears throat> but the truth is, that there's no way to deny that what life throws at us is large and powerful. It's tough. I don't say that to discourage you, I just say because, you know what, let's call it what it is. 
Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't stick your head in the sand and figure, well, it's not that big of a deal. I shouldn't be upset about this. I shouldn't hurt over this. I think that's foolish. So it's not about denying what's going on, but it's about recognizing the truth that's found in the next part of this verse. Greater than the roar of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. Verse 4, the Lord on high is majestic. He is lofty. He is above it all. He is permanent. He rules. In a world of chaos, He is in control. He is king. He has no rival. He faces no actual threat whatsoever. The floods in our lives cannot reach Him. They cannot overrule Him. And despite their noise that they constantly make, He is mightier than those floods. He is higher than the highest tide of our dark times. We see this theme in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament where Jesus literally and figuratively calms the storm the disciples are in. Maybe you remember that story. It's not about denying what's going on. It's about trumping it with the truth of God. It's about seeing Him as reigning over the chaos in your life. The psalmist closes with one final truth and he says, The Lord reigns in holiness. Verse 5, Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness is the beauty of your house for all the days to come. He gives us here in this closing verse the reassurance that God can be trusted. That He always acts in accordance with His holy nature and His holy word. Your testimonies, your word, your law, your guidance are completely reliable. They've proven true. They can be believed. They are confirmed. They are supported. And so even when the storm rages, even when dark times come, even when you face broken relationships, disease, depression, financial stress, whatever may enter your life, even when all around you suggests that God has lied to you, the psalmist reminds us that his testimonies are completely reliable, always holy, that he always operates in perfect holiness and goodwill. So we can trust His Word. We can live our lives by it. We can claim its promises. We can receive strength from it on a minute-by-minute basis. I encourage you, immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in it. Don't skim it. Don't read it as, as if doing something on a checklist. Immerse yourself in the Scripture. So when dark times come, you've got an anchor. You've got a guide. You've got a shield. I'm convinced that many times Christians experience hopelessness when we don't have to because largely we've not immersed ourselves in the truth of God's Word. It's our anchor, our guide, our shield. Immerse yourself in it. If you have space to write it down in your Bible, or you simply want to circle it on your bulletin, I want to leave you with this thought that wraps it all up that I believe is the overarching truth of this psalm and and so many things we see in Scripture, that no matter what, He's still got the whole world in His hands. No matter what, He's still got the whole world in His hands. Remember that song from when you were a kid? You realize how true that song is? (laughs) It's a cute little song for kids to sing, but what incredible truth it has. That's the whole point today. Even as we remember a world-changing event like 9-11, 
This truth brings comfort, brings relief, it brings hope. And that's what we must and can apply to our thoughts, our emotions, our actions during time when there seems to be no hope, that no matter what, He's still got the whole world in His hands. This world is indeed a chaotic place. Bad times will come. Awful things will happen. But He's still got the whole world in His hands, no matter how dark it gets. That's the message of this psalm for the nation of Israel. That's the message of the cross of Jesus Christ for us. That's the message we need to proclaim. You'll run into somebody this week who needs to hear that message. That's the message we need in each of our lives in our dark times. That's the answer to what is wrong in our world. It's the answer to what is wrong in our nation and our individual lives. The answer is that the Lord reigns, that Jesus died to forgive us, that He rose again to conquer death, to give us eternal life, and He is coming back. If you fast forward from Psalm 93 to the cross, you get the idea that even though it seemed dark, God still had the whole world in His hands, and through that dark time, brought salvation to us through Jesus Christ. You fast forward to 9-11, and even in that dark time in our country, in our world, God still has the whole world in His hands and provides hope. And you fast forward to today, and whatever junk you're dealing with, whatever dark times you're facing, and the truth remains, He still has the whole world in His hands. And that's the message of hope for a world experiencing dark times, for people like you and me whose lives can be wrecked from time to time by the issues we face So this morning, as you respond to the Lord, be real. Be raw if you need to. Be honest with the Lord. But stand on the truth and claim the promise that the Lord reigns, that He's still got the whole world in His hands. Dark times are not overcome by our human initiatives, by our human actions, or even by our human leaders. They're overcome by what has always been true and has always been demonstrated that the Lord reigns. It's because of this truth we can respond like the psalmist did in the rest of the kingship psalms. Go read 96 through 99 in Psalms. Rejoice, be glad, give praise. How can you respond like that unless you've come to grips with the reality that the Lord reigns and you've gotten hope and peace from it? Even in our darkest of times, there is hope. We have reason to praise Him, to lift our heads, to be encouraged. This morning, we're going to close our time together with a visible reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, I'll ask our our deacons to come forward, and Danny will play and sing as we partake in what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. What we remember here and what we proclaim is the victory of God in what seemed to be the darkest of times for His Son Jesus Christ. What seemed to be a defeat turned out for great victory for the Lord and also obviously for us. When Jesus hung on the cross, the forces of evil figured they had it won. And it was in that time that Jesus gained victory over sin and over death and died for our sins. And so we'll this morning participate in communion together. I would invite you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to feel free to participate with us. I would also encourage you, based upon the Scripture, to spend some time in prayer with the Lord before you partake 
of the Lord's Supper, confessing whatever sin might be in your life, now's the time. The Lord gives some interesting warnings, some interesting encouragement in His Scripture about what we should do before we take communion. And He stresses that we need to have clear hearts before Him, that we must be His followers, that we must have confessed our sins to Him, received His forgiveness. It's available today. So let me ask at this time our deacons and, and Danny to come forward. If you'd like to turn in your hymnal to number 330, that's the hymn that Danny's going to be singing. It's Amazing Grace. You're more than welcome to join him singing those verses. And as we're handing out the elements, we're going to both remember physically and sing about the grace of God that we cannot earn and certainly did not deserve. But praise God, He gave it to us anyway. So 330 in your hymnal, it should be on the screen. Feel free to join Danny.